not a blink of an eye. Life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident, rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Season 2, Episode 25, On Eagle's Wings. Hello, dear ones. I hope you are well. It is hard to believe that we are coming to the end of season two of Blink of an Eye with this episode. I am so glad you are listening in, as you won't want to miss some tender exchanges and gifts that propelled us on our way. Yes, episode 25 today is chock full of surprises and treats just as it was for me on this day in the story. Thank you for traveling with me on this arduous journey that began August 5th, 2015. As of this day in the story, our family had spent 30 days in the ICU. That's a long time to be in a trauma unit, but we are on our way into season three. And I want to share with you what you can look forward to. But first, before I share information about our break between seasons, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our corporate sponsors, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy and Transformation. I see that. I see that as the new nonprofit I started, inspired by Archer, the Archer blog readers, and you, the listeners of Blink of an Eye. You, our beloved listener, can donate to the production of Blink of an Eye podcast by going to www.icthat.org and donating in any amount that moves you for listening and learning and being inspired. We are taking a break between seasons to raise some funds to keep Blink of an Eye going. I have an amazing team of a co-producer, a social media liaison, and webmaster. I would like to do so much more with your support, so we hope you would consider a charitable donation at www.icthat.org. Each listener contributes $150 to $500. We will be able to bring to life exciting ideas we have for your listening benefit. And all of our contributors of $500 and above will be listed on the www.icthat.org website. Thank you. I See That is hosting an international virtual conference, March 16, 2022, on the science of trauma. 
hope for trauma healing. You don't want to miss this, so please mark your calendars now to tune in live with renowned medical experts, Dr. Babak Kateb, the Scientific Director of SBMT, the Society of Brain Mapping and Therapeutics, and Brain Mapping Foundation, and Dr. Dan Siegel, the Executive Director of the MindSight Institute at UCLA. I will moderate the conference as we explore with two internationally known scientists and researchers how trauma and the trauma experience show up in the brain, with Dr. Kateb sharing with us images of the brain, his institute studies, and the implications for health, and how we can change the terrain of those brain maps, depending on various factors that we can control. Dr. Dan Siegel will then share his cutting-edge neurological research in interpersonal neurobiology, as he will share with us ways we are hardwired to protect ourselves in trauma and ways we can change the residual response in our minds which can alter the brain's messaging to our cells over time. I know, it's interesting stuff. You don't want to miss this fascinating and very hopeful three-hour virtual conference, March 16, 2022. And you can get continuing medical education credits and general CEUs as well. Please join us. You can find an interest form to fill out for pre-registration for the conference on www.icthat.org. And please tell your friends and your kids. We have a special registration fee for full-time students of only $50 because we are most interested in these hopeful understandings being widely disseminated to everyone. There is also an opportunity to sponsor the I See That Science of Trauma Conference. If you know of a business, such as a hospital or medical office, research facility or alternative or integrative medicine group, which would like exposure as a sponsor, you may indicate interest on the registration form. Can't wait to see you there. We've been producing furiously this last year plus. (laughs) And we're going to pause to give listeners a time to catch up and new listeners a time to begin. We hope you will tell your friends about Blink of an Eye podcast so they can start with episode one of season one and binge listen. We are learning that most of our listeners find us through word of mouth and from other listeners. Thank you. I love creating and producing Blink of an Eye, and I love our team. There is so much more to the story. We hope to continue with your help. The more subscribers there are, the more attractive it is for sponsors, too. So please, consider becoming a subscriber. All you have to do is click subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And of course, please consider becoming a sponsor. Email me at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com for information. You can also become a patron at Patreon. Just go to www.patreon.com backslash blink of an iPod. During the break, we will also continue to roll out more in-depth interviews of the amazing people behind the scenes. So stay tuned. We will return with season three later this winter in February or March. That will give us some time to produce and get ahead. Stay tuned for an exact release date by following our social media and make sure you are subscribed to know when we come back. You can anticipate an amazing lineup of wise experts in trauma healing in season three, as well as a new cast of characters behind the scenes. Oh, yes. Season three will be chock full. Welcome to season two, episode 25 on Eagle's Wings. In this episode today, it is tense. My family is preparing for what seems like a precarious heist to spring Archer from Atlantic Care replete with unexpected pushback and more institutional obstacles. We covered two days, so it will be a bit longer. You will also hear about remarkable people and children who stepped forward to help us navigate and prepare. It was as if they were waving palm branches from all over the country clearing the way for Archer to get to Atlanta. It was extraordinary. Some of those remarkable people were EMS workers. And in this episode, you will have a glimpse into what goes on behind the scenes with the emergency medical services protocol, insurance bureaucracy, hospital bureaucracy, and delicate trauma care preparations related to complicated air transport of a very injured person. And in our final companion trauma healing learning for season two, we'll explore the power of gratitude in trauma healing learning 25 on Eagle's Wings. Oh yes, the miracle of what a small group of committed people can do when they work together. And the feeling of gratitude that can illuminate any dark moment. So settle in. Settle your spirit. Yes, it's going to be a lot. Notice an awareness of your heart beating possibly faster with anticipation. Slow it down. Take in a breath or two or three for your own well-being to be moved and more aware of life 
we really don't know what is in store for us. But we do know we are not alone. Okay, here we go. Back to September 2015 at Atlanta Care Hospital in the Trauma Intensive Care Unit. Episode 25 on Eagle's Wings. Life can change in the blink of an eye. September 2nd, Wednesday, day 29. Denied. That's what the insurance company said this morning after I called them frantically at midnight last night. They would not cover Archer's flight to Atlanta. But how else are we to get him there? I incredulously asked the insurance representative assigned to us. She told me they do not cover air travel when there is another alternative. What she meant was another less expensive alternative. But I said there wasn't any other option, and it was my son's life. I hung up and walked briskly down the brightly lit hospital hallway in the direction of the Atlantic Care Administration office. I glanced up at the large classroom clock, which read 8.27 in the morning. No one was there, so I scrawled on a piece of paper at one of the desks. Please ask Dr. Tolucci to stop by room 3111 after his rounds. It's an administrative emergency, Louise Fibsempt. I left the note with the one nurse in the donut hole. Dr. Tolucci arrived at our room shortly thereafter. We are caught between systems, I bellowed. Our insurance will cover the Shepherd Center, but they won't cover the medical jet. They will cover ground transport. I've checked, and it's 822 miles, about 14 hours by car. I know, longer by medical. Ray, we've got to get Archer out of here. Please. You've got to help us. He looked right at me and said, Your son, Louise, is too fragile for ground transport. I cannot release him. And I said, So how do we get Archer out of here? I don't know, he said flatly. There is nothing else we can do. I was stunned. As he walked away, I reached for my phone to call the high-risk catastrophic care insurance representative back to explain that Atlantic Care would not release Archer unless it was to a Metajet and that we were essentially stuck in this hospital while my son withered away to nothing. I conveyed what Dr. Tolucci had told me, that the situation was too dangerous for any lengthy ground transport as the likelihood of one of Archer's chest tubes becoming dislodged was very high. I could feel the tightness in my own chest and a sort of low-grade panic as I glanced at Archer, who was completely out of it and so thin My God, 
He was withering away. I was painfully aware the medical staff was concerned with death on their watch. And so was I. They were stuck too. And I knew our boy was struggling to stay alive. I knew Archer Sempt wanted to live. Everyone was on edge. The insurance representative lady said I would hear from them in a few hours. I told her that every hour counted as Archer was declining. I looked nervously over at Archer again. He was really out in La La Land. It scared me how out he was. How had we slipped backwards this far in just 10 hours? The insurance woman called me back and said, we were denied. She replied that our transportation coverage had to be within a 100-mile radius or it would not be covered. I hung up the phone, stinging. They had approved the Shepherd Center. How were we to get there? But my mind was already racing to calculate if Baltimore were less than 100 miles from Atlantic City and we could have them airlifted there. My former divorce client turned nurse practitioner, Dawn Silverman, had assured me in her conversation with Maryland Shock Trauma Leadership that they would help and welcome Archer. I had heard the same thing from Johns Hopkins. The issue is what to do once we got him there. I just wanted to bring Archer home, but we couldn't take him home. There was no care for him in all of Baltimore in his current condition. My God, how did this happen? Please, Lord, please, Archer's guardian angel, please, Mother Mary, please help us. We've got to get out of here to someplace that knows how to help Archer. We can't let him wither away here. I felt myself getting angrier that we had not gone when we thought we could have last night. I didn't tell you because it was just one of my many details that just didn't seem to matter then. But Tara Grimes from the Shepherd Center had phoned me yesterday to inform me that the night flight we were hoping to get Archer on was delayed because Atlantic City closed their airport to the public for two days because of the famous air show those blue angels were in. Can you believe that? Of all days in the entire year, when any airport is closed, airports don't close. I couldn't believe it. But I thought, all in good time, all in God's time, it will be okay. Archer had been doing well on the tilt table. And it gave us another two days to help him get stronger. I was in close contact with the Shepherd Center and their chief doctor. And they had advised me to request Atlanticare to get Archer on a tilt rack to help his body regulate his blood pressure and to see if he could withstand the upright angle after being prone for so long. When they had learned 
he had not had any rehab at all these almost 30 days. At first, Archer didn't tolerate the tilt table well, and his blood pressure soared, and the table had to be disbanded. But I asked for it again, and he rallied after two days of attempts. When I reported the good news to Shepard, they said to move with haste. But with our flight plans delayed, Atlanticare then tried to mitigate the risk of Archer's transport and their liability and scheduled Archer for another emergency surgery, this time right thoracic lung, and made another attempt to remove the second of the three original chest tubes. Lungs seared and less tubing, less chance for fatal errors. That's what they said. But that surgery and tube removal set our boy back tremendously. His body was not ready to have that chest tube removed. And it was more talc chemical sprayed on already raw lung tissue. It was unfathomable as the blood dripped on his sides and he was in such pain. I wondered if a person can die of too much pain. Please, Archer, hang in there. We love you so much. I'm going to get you out of here, darling. Please, trust it's going to get better. Please. They gave him opiates and morphine and fentanyl. And my God, I don't know if he ever even heard me. He was really not reachable. It frightened me. That surgery would have never happened but for the delay. God help us. He had been in a good place. Why did Atlanticare have to do that? But I knew this kind of thinking was not helpful to anyone. It was the thinking of those who want to suffer or blame others for their suffering. And I refused to linger on that much longer. Maybe another day, but not today. I walked out of Archer's room to see if I could find Dr. Tolucci again. The big clock said it was already 10 a.m. The day was flying. The children were starting to arrive, and our family was all hands on deck. While we had literally just gotten them all settled in their respective schools a mere three or four days ago, the call from Shepard at 1.20 p.m. on August 31st accepting Archer into their program had happened so fast. Thank God for text groups. I had texted all the kids yesterday that Archer and I would be leaving for Atlanta in about 36 hours. Paula swept in to get Dutch out of school, and Pete and Dewey coordinated amongst themselves from their respective Maryland colleges as they all began arriving to say goodbye. I can always count on my children to pull together for each other. 
and as they arrived back in Atlantic City, they were so attentive, and I could tell how much they wanted to show Archer their love and their support of his future. Paula brought a stack of cards made by the seventh grade class at Cathedral School, and as she read them to Archer, I think he may have heard them. The kids took turns boosting his confidence and mine that it would be a safe transport out of Atlantic Air. I felt that I could sense Archer was anxious. He was in and out, but I think he knew his siblings were there. Pete put on a sound cloud his friend Colin Costco had made for Archer, and I believe that brought Archer comfort, as he loves music so much. Pete was pacing slowly around Archer's room again, though, and I could tell Archer weighed heavily on his mind. It's funny how you can watch what is so familiar, but from afar. That's what it was like as I watched my oldest son. And I realized something new about my no longer young boy, but now young man, son. I realized he was a kinesthetic thinker as he walked and moved to think out something important on his mind. Pete has a wide, dutiful streak to our family, to his friends, to his work. And I know it was hard on him to see Archer. So thin and weak. Just since Saturday when Pete spent the night with him, Archer had declined. It was not all smiles or bon voyage to Atlanta. But they were all trying to be so normal. It was hard. I hated that Archer was in such pain. I hated that the children had to witness it. And I hated that all the hospital could do would keep him on heavy narcotics. I wanted to scream, no more drugs. But what do you do when your child is in such pain and his body is losing strength to fight? I hated it all. And I hated that I hated, as I had been raised, not to hate anything. Right? Hate is one of those emotions most parents caution their children against, and perhaps even banned from their households. Hate's not even an emotion anyway. It's a mindset. Hate was not a Phipps family value. And it's not a SEMPT family value either. Don't hate, Louise, I said to myself. It only brings harm. I was also questioning my own judgment harshly and feeling helpless about the use of narcotics for Archer. How can they do that to him? We were past signing consent forms for medications, as I realized that a general consent to treat 
signed many weeks ago, indeed when I was in acute trauma state, gave the hospital authority to do whatever they felt was needed to treat Archer. It sort of made sense to me, up to a point. But what was that point? Where was my informed consent for my child? I looked at Archer. I did feel deeply that the situation was deteriorating quickly and we had to get him out of there. I didn't have time to wallow in my questioning my own role or the hospital's role, but it was kicking up again and I knew it was not going away. And as for hate of my own complicity, I'd learned long ago the difference between shame and guilt. I imagine you did too somewhere, perhaps, in your adult learning. You know, guilt is when you know you did a bad thing or something you regret. Shame, on the other hand, is when you think you yourself are bad, such as I am a bad person. No, I wasn't going down that rabbit hole. And I never have, thanks to my grandma. And my mom reminded me, even as a very young girl, that I would make mistakes. And when I did, it didn't mean I was a bad person. It's funny how things were floating in and out of my mind today. I reached in my pocket just to feel my tiny rosary beads. They comforted me. I sat on the little sofa bed in the far corner of Archer's room with the pillows and blankets piled high, and I called the kids over while Archer slept. Family meeting. Plan for the rest of the day. As they walked past our little altar in the room, the helium balloons on the long strands weighted down with the tinfoil-covered weights bobbed up and down as if they were dancing, perhaps joining us with strategizing a departure. Dutch looked so young all of a sudden, the seventh grader that he was, and Michael stood so strong and lovingly with Paula that I felt a feeling pass over me that they would be partners forever. Dewey and Pete stood in our half circle at the ready, and we came up with a plan for the rest of the day. They're packing and dismantling Archer's room while Billy and I took care of more phone calls, meetings, and packing the two small duffel bags Paula had brought us from Baltimore. I told the kids how we had been on the phone all morning trying to get our credit line increased on our credit card, but that it still wasn't enough because we had to spend on the limit, then pay it off, and then ask again. But I assured the kids that with the increase and what was left on my business card limit, we had it figured out. I also told them they each needed to get a credit card and use it and pay it off 
and use it again and pay it off just like dad and I do, but to ask for increases in limits every six months just to have it. I wish I had done that more aggressively. It was just so surreal with Archer so fragile and our attention on scrambling to figure out how to put a huge expenditure on a credit card quickly. I left the kids and walked down the hall to the family waiting room to call Tara Grimes at the Shepherd Center to apprise them of the latest on the transportation and that it was not covered by insurance. I took in a big gulp and I asked God and all my angels to help us. Do you have any way to problem solve this with us? I asked Tara. She listened carefully and gave me the name of another medical transportation company to call, told me to have my credit card ready, that that is standard and the only method of payment transportation companies take. And then she told me the Shepherd Center would pay half. I couldn't believe it. Really? I felt like it was a miracle. I was flooded with gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. I hung up and called the flight company and then texted two friends, Ned Inslee and David DeMuth, who had been texting me, telling me they were going to help us. I explained the turn of events, and they said they would raise the other half amongst friends. It was incredible. I can't tell you exactly what it felt like to have so many people doing such kind things for us. I felt a huge sense of relief and gratitude. It was stunning to me how much even a fleeting sense of basic safety being met gives rise to the emotional feeling of gratitude. It really does. I think safety and belonging, control, and gratitude go hand in hand in times of those basic human needs being met and restored. I checked in on the kids as they were dismantling a month's worth of love and hope and posters and cards and pennants and pictures all over Archer's room. I then left again to call Billy to relay the incredible news. He was back cleaning the house and cleaning up the remaining stuff of the summer and parsing through exactly what Archer needed for Shepard. They said he needed three hoodies and a pair of tennis shoes in a size larger than he wears, size 11 or 12. Billy told me he would be out buying those shoes somewhere in New Jersey since Kate May didn't have a running shoes store. He told me he had laid out for me what he thought I'd need. I realized I needed so little. It would be warm in Georgia, even in the fall, and I could wear the same thing day in and day out. But I thought I should take a business suit as I planned to figure out how I could mediate and earn income at least two days a week in Georgia. But I didn't have a suit in Cape May. But I did have one dress 
which he told me he had out for me, and a pair of summer heels and a summer sweater. I really just needed my laptop, my books, my journals, my toiletries, one pair of pants, two shirts, sandals, and a good soft warm wrap. I also wanted to take my little lamp for reading and writing each night, but I knew that wouldn't fit. I wanted to make sure we had room for two of those prayer shawls people had sent for warmth. And I knew Archer needed his headphones and iPhone with his music on it. As Billy packed the two best duffel bags Paula could find at home and had brought, it was truly one for all and all for one. But when I relayed that we were no longer in limbo on the insurance and cost of the flight, while I felt Billy's relief, the bigger picture tension remained, as he said we needed to figure out today how to salvage the first week of our book sales. I knew Billy and I were on the same page, but I also knew we were not on the same page about how to continue earning money or raising money. I saw our needs as short-term, and we'd figure it out when we could also get help. Billy saw it as the beginning of a long-term haul and financial crisis. Each time we were together, he would tell me that if some things didn't happen, we were going to have to sell our house and my building, and I'd have to figure out another way to run my business. Oh, man, I wanted to focus on the here and now, but it crossed my mind that this was a real dilemma looming for us. And I imagined for so many other families. How did they navigate this? It was a growing tension in our marriage. We had thought about calling upon Rachel Wall again for another mediation session, but time was slipping through our fingers, and she, like all the other summer friends, had ended their vacations and headed back to school and work in Maryland or Pennsylvania or Delaware. I didn't feel that Atlanticare had helped us in any way to depart with ease, and there felt like a growing tension between us as well. There were many medical consults and documents to sign and sign off on related to Atlanticare's protocol to release Archer, and my signing away that we would not hold them responsible. Even the transportation company texted me, a release, of course, but they hand-wrote in large letters, Death of Archer Sempt. I took a screenshot of it. It was so stark. One of the kids kept coming to get me, and I was back and forth most of the day with a fax machine and the hospital documents on clipboards. My phone pinged, and it was a text from an old friend when the kids were younger, Ellie Franklin. She sent me a verse from the Old Testament, Isaiah. They will soar 
on wings like angels. Oh my God. That was so nice just to get when I just needed it. Oh, that beautiful song came into my mind on eagle's wings. And he will raise you up on eagle's wings. Around the same time, I got another text from my old grade school friend, Noreen Kane Gant, who told me, do not be afraid. There are angels all around you. I believe your jet will fly surrounded by angels. Yes, it hit me that we would soon soar and it would be angels that carried us. And I had other texts as well that were streaming in. Noreen sent me a news report on TV of a medical case in Missouri of a faulty device used in a pacemaker and told me to write down the model and the make. I hadn't thought about that, but yes, I did want to have that information at my fingertips. Thank you. It was another administrative inquiry to medical records. I decided instead to call Dr. Elna Hall directly. He responded with a picture of the make and model. There were texts from my UVA sorority sisters, Emily Day Whitworth in Connecticut, connecting me to another UVA alum in Atlanta, Georgia, Allison Andrews Watkins. I remembered Allison when Billy and I would travel back to UVA after we had graduated. She was younger than I, but I always liked her. And I had Emily and Madeline McGee in Charleston, South Carolina, connecting me to another UVA alum, Mary McCune Dillon, who also lived in Atlanta. I remembered Mary, too, younger than I, but I always liked her, too. She and Allison both texted me. Mary said, I remember you fondly, Louise, and stand at the ready to do anything you need here in Atlanta. It was amazing. And Allison texted, I have just come from your apartment and left you some healthy food. See you soon. My apartment? I texted back. Thank you, but I think there might be some confusion. She texted back. No, girlfriend. We have you set up and we're going to take care of you. You'll see when you get here. Fly safe. He'll be on eagle's wings. Oh, my God. I couldn't imagine it. I just sat there and bawled. And I let myself feel carried. People are so good. I looked around the family waiting room. I said, we are leaving. Oh my God, we're going to leave. I think I told you Dutch had started seventh grade back home in Baltimore at the cathedral. 
Well, the school had just been in session a few days this week when Paula went to pick Dutch up a bit suddenly. But they all knew. The family and friends' updates had our situation very public, and it was good so Dutch could feel supported. But with Dutch leaving suddenly, word of Archer's going to Atlanta had apparently swept through his class quickly, and his teacher and the school nurse, Kathy Lobo, emailed me a video that Dutch's seventh grade class made this day with this note. This is for Archer for his trip. Pray for Archer. We are Archer Strong. I thought you might like to hear these young angelic voices. Imagine about 25 seventh grade boys and girls of all colors and shapes in three rows, sitting on the classroom floor cross-legged, in chairs behind them, and standing behind them, in their school uniforms, all singing in unison. I felt swept up again that this trip was happening and we would be carried. Archer was not alone. We were going to get Archer to Atlanta. While I had been feeling somewhat frenetic, as we all knew Archer was at the end at Atlanticare, and while all our children and we knew it was going to be a very delicate, transportation quest. I knew we would make it. I knew we would. We are really all in this together. Each of those precious voices reminded me. I played the video for Archer. He had been through so much. It was true, it was going to be arduous, as Archer had many open wounds to hold those bundle of tubes, and some were inserted precariously into open slits in his sides. Any movement of any of those tubes was not only hazardous to his life, but I knew would cause agonizing pain. Stay centered. I was reminded of the heroic emergency medicine service workers who worked so seamlessly to get Archer off the beach, into the helicopter, and to Atlanticare 30 days ago. I had the privilege of tracking down Harry Back, the senior lieutenant on the famous Cape May Beach Patrol, and now chief of the Cape May City Beaches, 
and also Alex Coulter, the chief of the Cape May Fire Department. And I had a chance to learn who was on the beach on August 5th to witness the scene and what it was like for them, specifically members of the beach club, Mary Turner, who is a nurse, Will Hudson, who is a college student, Maybeth Hudson, Will's mom, and India Cochran, who was also in college and sitting on the beach at the time. Cape May is a small island, only about three miles long and wide off the coast of New Jersey. So Cape May is in charge of the helicopter piece or the transportation piece. How does that work? Typically what happens in, in the protocol is any, so helicopters, paramedics are run by Atlantic Air. Um, there, there's none locally. They're, they're flying out of Atlantic City. They're flying out of uh, by Cooper Hospital in Camden. The protocol is when a call comes into dispatch, there's automatic paramedics. Like if, if, if you, somebody's having a cardiac arrest, that's an automatic paramedics are on the way. Other times it's wait and see, let the EMTs from the city evaluate before they call for a paramedic. Obviously, major trauma is almost always going to be a helicopter. So the city EMS, Cape May Fire Department, makes that call. Um, we've always had our, our rapport with them and how we work with the, with the police department and fire department is there's mutual respect. Mm -hmm. And when they hear from one of the senior lieutenants or the EMTs on the beach patrol that we have a head, neck, and back injury uh, with deficits. Request a helicopter because that's a, that's an automatic within the protocol to do that. They don't blink an eye. They will get a helicopter in an air because worst thing you do you recall. Yeah. So, but that helicopter can only land in two places on the island. You got Coast Guard base and you have elementary school. I was wondering, like, where where does it go? Yeah. So they Cape May. Cape May. The the big field out there. Mm -hmm. So they, the fire department coordinates with the paramedics in the helicopter, gives them a landing zone. They package uh, on scene, put them in the ambulance, drive them to wherever the extrication is going to be for the helicopter. And in Archer's case, he went to Atlantic City. Right. To Atlantic City what, what happened from when he was on the beach to getting into some kind of transportation because Davis was, was um, you know, like, just couldn't, you know, like, how do we get anybody on the beach? <clears throat> and you talked about that gate being Correct. unlocked, I guess. It was so we unlocked the chained. gate where the, where the tractor comes through. Um, that, you, that you knew about, because it seems like right. others just weren't even thinking about it. All right, so I sent Bill Keller, Lieutenant Keller, and they went and got the key. I think Genzel, was it, maybe it was Genzel. I want to say it was Genzel that unlocked it. Bill got it open. The ambulance pulled up as far as they could, which isn't very far. So the sand. We, once we had Archer on the backboard, uh, we had the sea collar on, we had the head blocks on, we had the spider straps on, we loaded them in the back of one of our vehicles, not our vehicles, I'm sorry. Now it's our vehicle because I work there again, but right. one of the lifeguard trucks and we drove them to the parking lot. 
where he was transferred to the ambulance. And the lifeguard truck came in through that gate, or did it come in from poverty? It came in from poverty. It came in from poverty. Yeah. Yeah, I was just trying, because no one, in the yeah. eyes of others, yeah. is incredibly chaotic. It, yes, it is. But for 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 us, it's, it's just a, a systematic approach. Everybody's got a job and everybody's doing a job. Nobody's doing somebody else's job. We just always work well together as a team. And it just doesn't matter. It, it could have been any one of those other lieutenants could have been the first person there and, and we would have done the same thing, just different roles. And it's just how, how it works. And that's why uh, I think, I think we have a wonderful, super talented beach patrol and wonderful. training and it just, it just works. So it goes beach patrol, fire department, to dispatch, to helicopter. I mean, it's like that. So it happened very quickly on one hand. And on the other hand, it still took uh, some time. Mm -hmm. But there would also be paramedics coming from somewhere too. So there's paramedics in the summertime are located out of Cape Regional and Wildwood. Are the two closest so whichever does matter they'll, they'll come and they'll come and meet the ambulance and also so now they're getting while they're waiting for the helicopter to arrive which could be coming from camden it could be coming from atlantic city i'm not sure where that where archer's helicopter came from so there is some time in there but he's getting advanced care at that same time it's atlantic care's helicopter um i, I believe it was atlantic care's helicopter that came that day and they i believe they came from hamilton but when they come in, it's, you know, we, we give them the description, or I give them the description on the, on the radio, they circle and then they land. And then in, that, in the time that takes, they've been updated on the patient, they're ready to come out. When the flight crew comes and meets with us at the ambulance. Those dedicated, well-practiced, committed people saved our supply. Do you remember anything else about Archer? The, the, the fear, the fear in his eyes. I always look at, think of myself as a person who can read people's eyes as well as I read their mannerisms and kind of see what's going on in their head. And uh, I can just see it, it's scared. It's scary, I can't even imagine what that is like to be that scared. I can't either. And uh, and I, that's what I remember the most is is in my mind knowing that this was a very, very serious injury. Just from the blink of his eye. And uh, looking at him and, and he knows. He knows. He knew yeah. how bad it was. Yeah. And uh, nobody knows from that point forward what's next. And uh, for me, it's it's, I said all the other ones that I've been involved in, we rarely find out. Yeah. We rarely get the the outcome. We never know what really happens unless they come back in and tell us, hey, I'm back. Thank you. I made it. It was one of the rare days that I got a chance to be with my son, who also worked with Archer in the kitchen. Um so he happened to be off that day. And it, as I said, it was a rare day that the two of us were together on the beach. Um, and I remember, 
I remember watching Archer, and I think it was James that came running down the beach, and they both jumped in the water together. And it just, you know, it it was that split second where you just saw joy, you know, like when kids run into the ocean. Um, and there's, it really was the blink of an eye. Um, at first, when I saw it, I thought, wait a minute. Um, and I think it took everybody a minute or two to figure out what happened and whether Archer was just trying to catch a wave or something. But, and that second felt like an eternity when I look back on it now. Um, and immediately James was there and I don't rem I can't remember who the other guard was, but they got him out of the water. Davis. I, I thought it was Davis. Um, but they were, you know, I mean, everybody was there really quickly and they got him out of the water. Um, and that was when I got up and went over because it was very clear he was in distress. Um, how do you know what was, what was happening then that made it clear that he was in distress? The, I, I, I don't know, call it a nursing instinct, the way he was laying, his color, just it was that split second and I got over to him and it was clear that he had swallowed a lot of water and the guards were saying, you know, get him on his side. And they were going to roll him so that he could clear his lungs. And there was just the way they were doing it. I'm like, everybody stop. We have to do this together. I want somebody on the head, somebody on the shoulders, somebody on the hips. We need to roll him in one movement. Because if there's any, you know, I mean, it really went right to my head that there was cervical damage. And had we not done that to clear his lungs, it could have caused more damage. Um, so we got him over and he was able to clear his lungs, which to me was a good sign because he was able to do that on his own. And at that moment, and this sort of goes to the water conditions you know, when the water's rough in Cape May, um, it comes in with some force. And that day, it just sort of kind of rolled in. And Archer was lying just at the water's edge. And a wave rolled in ever so gently. And I watched, it was his right arm. I watched his right arm drift with the water and then go back out. Um, will, I will tell you that Will, my youngest son, who's now 24, he was a sophomore then. He saw Archer dive in and he said it was like a dolphin, like that. He felt like it was a dolphin, like um, an arch. 
Yeah, like a dolphin. Like a dolphin. I was on the beach that day. I think I was getting ready um, to go back to school, actually. Uh, so that might have been my last weekend at the beach. And I was kind of, I was at the beach club and I was kind of over on the right side of the beach and I was you know, positioned kind of facing the lifeguard stand. Um, and I remember <laughs> seeing Archer, um, I mean, he was always you know, full of life and joking around. I remember seeing him joke around with the lifeguards. I think they were all pretty close. Um, and then he kind of went into the water and I, I think I recall him like a dolphin, kind of. And then I remember seeing him floating in the water with his face down. And I kind of looked over at the lifeguards and I, I kind of got the impression personally that he was, you know, joking around with the lifeguards. And I think they kind of thought that too. And then the time kind of ran on. I kind of looked over at Davis, who was, you know, I think clearly in charge. It was probably about 10 seconds and I could see Davis getting, you know, you know, nervous and shifty, and then he bolted down off the lifeguard stand and, you know, ran into the water and pulled him out. Um, and then my Aunt Mary, who was a nurse at the time, kind of went down to um, help. And I, I just remember it being a really, you know, icy moment. It was, you know, the kind of wind was sucked off the beach and, you know, everyone was you know, dead silent and looking and it felt like time kind of stopped it just happened very fast i i remember you know we were facing the water like as you do and just sort of like watching and i don't you know and then and then kind of all of a sudden like there he was laying on his back like it seemed like very quickly it was clear that something was really wrong. I think I was like, well, I don't, who is that? And he said it was Archer who I like didn't really know who that was. Um, and he said, you know, that he was worked there and was a 17 year old, like, yeah. And I just, you know, we just kind of sat there and watched and um, Davis ran down and it happened, you know, it just happened really fast and uh, you know, we could just sort of tell that something was really seriously wrong. From like from the moment of being like something's happening to the moment of like, oh, this is really really bad. Like, and I seem to remember him saying like saying that he couldn't move his legs, or or some someone had said he can't move his legs, or he can't like something like that was said. I remember that. I think there's a a big part of it that feels weird when you're witnessing something and you're you know there's the people are there like doing what they're supposed to, you know lifeguards are the people that are supposed to be taking care of this and and so you know we're sort of watching and not it, it feels weird I don't I don't know how, how else to describe it it feels weird to to witness something like that and not know like what to do or what's going on. You could tell everyone that was that was attending to him was very serious and, and they were scared. Atlantic Air ICU, September 3rd, 2015, Thursday, day 30, 6.30 a.m. Family and friends update. 
as we sit in silence of our lavender-filled room with soft nature sounds muffling the incessant beeps outside our door, except the two code reds that bellowed through the corridors at 1 a.m. and 2 a.m., which alarmed and unsettled everyone. But it turns out it was only someone taking a smoke in the bathroom. Oh my, I am aware of a peacefulness. I am feeling deep, deep gratitude for this hospital and the staff. We started at 4 a.m. and Archer is cleaned, has new chest tube dressing, new tracheotomy dressing, has had an EKG of his pacemaker to make sure it's in place perfectly, an x-ray of his lungs to ensure they are without pneumothorax, his temperature taken regularly, hovering around 99.4, not bad, and we continue to monitor all of his vitals closely, as always. We are ready. Today is day 30, a month in trauma ICU. It is hard to believe. Where did this month go? The friends, visitors, cards, meals, prayers, and more prayers. We are so deeply grateful. Thank you. We all know that we almost lost Archer more than a couple times. It was your sustained prayer, every single one, that carried him. I hope you know that. I know that. Billy knows that. Our children know that. Most of all, Archer knows that. And we know it in our hearts. Our gratitude is immense. And our love for all of you feels very expansive. We do not know what the future holds, but we do know it will be good. It will be meaningful. The day before yesterday, when the Blue Angel flight crew came to visit Archer, we chatted about teamwork. I told them I recalled a motivational speaker event Billy and I had attended with a Blue Angel not so long ago, and how we marveled at the level of trust and competence to fly different aircraft at high speeds upside down within mere inches of one another in flight where they could see the batting of each other's eyelashes and to be so well practiced and to know each other's every move so well and to hold each other's life at the highest premium under dangerous circumstances with courage and willingness. It really struck me. That's the kind of team we are looking for, for Archer. Because Archer has the courage and the willingness to practice very hard. And he has demonstrated time and again his discipline and steadiness in perilous times. I believe that team is out there. 
So off we go to the Shepherd Center in Atlanta. I think he and I already started our time travel last night. I didn't want to leave the hospital for a few hours of sleep. I wanted to stay right there. No mistakes. Steady. It will be soon. So you are probably wondering, why the Shepherd Center? We believe in miracles. We also know we have to do our part, and yours is prayer. An interesting convergence of connections happened all at once within two days, the very two days I was visiting facilities in Baltimore. The amazing options we had to consider in our own Baltimore backyard were plentiful, and a blessing we felt, and a resource we know we will need. Our beloved Baltimore friends and colleagues, and friends of our friends, as you know how that is, connected us quickly to the University of Maryland Shock Trauma, Johns Hopkins Spine, Kennedy Krieger, and Kernan, now University of Maryland Rehab. And I went to visit all in those couple days I was away. All of them were eager to accept and make it easy for us, but not sure it could be right away. It was amazing, but I couldn't find just the right fit for my six foot three inch son, who was still in pediatrics, but certainly not a toddler and is not yet a full-grown man. Adolescents are special and have special issues and needs. I know from our older children what a magical, life-shaping time the adolescent years can be if given the right encouragement, support, stimulation, and love. The floor and admission staff of all the Baltimore facilities and their medical directors were knowledgeable and wonderful. But the combination of what I felt in my heart Archer needed was not quite there, even if he had capacity. So it was as if the angels all came in a couple of days, storming me with signs, pointing us to Shepherd. They were gentle but full of watchfulness, and I paid attention as I was open. I remembered that first Sunday I went back to Cape May for Mass and about collapsed when I heard the petition from the pulpit, special prayers for Archer Semft, as another kind angel swooped up me and was by my side and literally held me from falling to the floor as I silently wept. But what I heard in the homily that Sunday was to be alert, stay alert. And that is when I changed some of my tentative requests about medicine and painkillers and curiosity about what they were doing for and to Archer to requests that were more confident and clear to assure Archer's mind remained as clear as possible and that we were told. And when our vigils 
turn to sentinel duty. I realized we had to step up the alertness at every single moment. And it was so necessary. And it was constant, constant vigil. Thank you, God, for gently and steadfastly guiding us. Oh, but I was digressing. Shepherd, yes. Ah, we are deeply indebted to the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation and a particular staff member who discreetly tried to reach out to us. And she was persistent. And when we finally connected with her, the doors were open and we were ready. It was timing. It was being educated. It was being curious. It was, shall we say, inspired by God. Because at the same exact time, dear old college friends from UVA connected us to Alana Shepard. Key phone calls were made also by dear Baltimore friends. I had two other dear friends, one a mom of one of my children's friends in Baltimore and another from my high school in Illinois who lived in California, who made calls to gather information and then the quiet, gentle texts from other friends around the country about someone they knew or heard of who went to Shepherd began to happen. There was a sort of divine convergence. The angels were hard at work since Billy and I had committed to being in Baltimore as Archer so adores and needs his friends in his McDonough school. And actually, all the parochial and independent schools where he and his siblings have had so many dear, wonderful friends. But when I learned how intense rehab is for five to six hours of physical activity each day and how exhausting it is and that there is little time for visitors, I felt our commitment maybe was made too quickly. We didn't have enough information. And when I saw that our six foot three, 17 year old would either be sharing a room for months with a child in a crib or with a much older adult while he was still in puberty, my heart was very unsettled. Not only is Shepherd one of the preeminent spinal cord injury rehabilitation centers in the world, for us, it has the necessary acute intensive care unit within the facility just a couple floors from where Archer's new room will be, rather than in a hospital nearby. And its staff have the premier expertise in weaning C5 patients off a ventilator, if it is meant to be. But they have promised me on the phone they can get him off the ventilator in less than three days. It has a specific adolescent program where other 16 to 19 year olds live together on the same floor, dedicated to adolescents only. And there are six others rehabbing there now. Most of all, we believe Shepard 
is full of believers, and it has a spiritual component as part of the recovery. That combination is what we were looking for. And I'm smiling because as all our children gathered to see Archer yesterday, it hit me. Oh my, it's not just they're not seeing Archer for a while and his not seeing them that will be very hard, especially for Dutch, as they were the last two of our kids to share the third floor bedroom of our house together. But I will not see all of my babies for a while. We decided to go out and get a bite to eat as one of Archer's uncles, who all adore him and vice versa, Uncle Bill Sanborn, came to keep vigil so we could gather. We left the hospital headed for a steakhouse it was the first time I had left the hospital or adjoining parking garage to walk more than a block. Before our meal, I visited the ladies' bathroom. As I came upon it, the sign denoting it was the women's bathroom was marked Lambs. I thought, hmm, that's a new one. Well, at this very moment, as we wait, it dawned on me. I love that the place where we are going is called Shepherd. An old friend sent a verse from Isaiah. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have their young. I was and am a lamb, and I will carry my lamb. I too feel gently led. And let's pray to God and to the Blessed Mother Mary and all the guardian angels. We'll let you know. The flight team is almost here. Goodbye, Atlantic City. Amen. I will write again as soon as we arrive, but before we take off, I wanted to share with you that on Eagle's Wings hymn, in the hope that you might sing it with me. It's by Michael Jonkus. I bet you know it. And if not, you now will. It moves me every time I hear it. I feel like God himself or herself is reaching out to me today, reminding me that I am held in the palm of God's hand. And so are you. Please sing it for us while we're in the air on our trip. You know I believe in you creating an energy field for us. Here is that beautiful song sung by the Sunday 7 p.m. choir at St. Francis de Sales Church in Ajax, Ontario, Canada. Here, the in the shelter of the 
Thursday, September 3rd, Transport Update, Day 30 Continued. Morning Transport from Atlantic Care Notes. A lot to do to transport someone on different machines and many lines attached to the body. There was about 10 or 15 minutes when all the hospital monitors we watched so closely for heartbeat, blood pressure, oxygen saturation, oxygen pressure, oxygen quantity, everything vital, all went blank. I'm not kidding, because they were unplugged or turned off as the new crew quickly and adeptly transferred Archer onto their portable equipment. We all held our breath and prayed very hard. 9.24, in ambulance. 9.28, final hugs. 9.34, watching from window of ambulance, Pete and Billy hugging each other, holding on to each other in parking lot. 9.44, pulling out of hospital. 9.47, arrive Atlantic City Airport, waiting for van escort at a metal gate that looks like a military unit. 957. Airport security finally arrives, but says they're waiting on state police to come sweep us. Archer is laboring in back. His new round of pain has begun. Very alert, although he had asked to be sedated. No go. EMS worker said no drugs need him to tell us when the pressure is right and not right in the ventilator he knows 959 finally the state police security arrive with dogs 1001 the large military zone gate slides open and we are now being escorted in as we waited for the police I said to the driver, my phone was on 5% as I forgot to charge it because I had packed the chargers earlier this morning. I noticed my phone with its missing extra battery pack because I had left it by accident in the Kansas City airport some months ago on a quick flight change. Thing is, it wasn't just the battery pack. No, I had an extra storage in that pack. A lot of storage. I had already transferred over 20,000 pictures 
as part of my New Year's resolution to organize them. So there it was. I've cried and lamented my loss with no backup, of course. How dumb of all those photos. Here I am now, staring at that half case I am still using less the extra battery and storage. The past that I have grieved over then. (laughs) I think in this moment, God must have been preparing me to let go of the past. Let it go. Onward. Battery. Pictures. God was on me to not look back. 1020. Taxiing down the runway. Little bouncy. I got up as close to Archer as I could crammed between two duffels and the window with only room in the seat for one little person, me. I leaned over to get eye contact with Archer. Close your eyes and imagine flying and breathing freely, easily. You're calm. We'll be calm together. This man is going to take care of you. Oh, Archer, you're very, very brave. We're being transported by Shepherd Center's team. The carrier they contracted for us, who are specialists in trauma C-spine and ventilator, the atmosphere feels both high-pitched and tense and also silent and solid as everyone is focused intensely on how Archer is doing with every new piece of equipment, each new breath, the pulling of the new trach tube, the pressure of the new oxygen settings as a team works until it is just perfect. I love the guy in charge already. He is strong and quietly confident. He told Archer in the elevator, on the way down to the ambulance bay that Archer had to hold any mucus in his mouth. And if he was not able to, to not worry because I'll get down in there and get it with my fingers if I need to. You got it? I loved that man instantly in that moment, taking care of my lamb with a lion's heart. That's the team we have been praying for for this transport. The clouds are so beautiful. I feel Archer and I are floating. It's so peaceful and quiet and still. Archer's breathing is holding steady. Hold on, my darling.
12.45 p.m. Just landed. Safe and sound. Thank you for that energy field you created in communion with God and all the holy angels. Hello, Atlanta, Georgia. Amen. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. You may continue listening this Saturday to the trauma healing learnings that accompany this story at Trauma Healing Learning 25 on Eagle's Wings. Thank you for listening and telling your friends about Blink of an Eye. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. See you next season for season three. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation. I See That is a multidisciplinary nonprofit that provides tangible support, trauma healing education, and advocacy for those experiencing crisis or trauma. To donate, please visit www.icthat.org. That's the letters I-C-T-H-A-T dot O-R-G.